Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production, and they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. At Morgan Stanley, old school hard work meets bold new thinking. At 88 years old, we still see the world with the wonder of new eyes, helping you discover untapped possibilities and relentlessly working with you to make them real. Old School Grit, New World Ideas, Morgan Stanley. To learn more, visit morganstanley.com slash why us. Investing involves risk. Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, LLC. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. I'd be able to make friends. Just try and make us money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. How do you spot a bottom? I mean, what makes it happen? When can you be sure that you have a real bottom in hand? Oh, that's the question everyone's pondering right now, right? And you've come to the correct place for the answer. I've been spelunking for bottoms for 40 years. And while I haven't always been right, I've caught enough of them to develop a checklist of what needs to occur before we get an investable bottom. Notice I didn't say tradable. Like what happened today, where the averages bounced for most of the session. And you can scalp a couple of points uh, if you're nimble before things rolled over in late afternoon. Dow only losing 171 points. S&P declining 0.1%. NASDAQ dipping 0.13%. That gapped a bunch of people. No, I'm talking about the kind of big long-term bottom that you eventually look back on as a magnificent buying opportunity. How do you know if you have one of those on your hands? Well, you need a checklist. So let me give you the checklist to catch an investable bottom like we had a couple of years back and many times since 1979 when I started buying stocks. First, before the market can bottom, we need to see a level of negativity that makes you sick to your stomach. In the great bottom of 2020, when we were still reeling from the arrival of the pandemic, we had people coming on our air and talking about the wrath of Khan and the angel portfolio death. Or maybe I'm exaggerating a little, but not that much. The chatter was so pessimistic from so, so many rich money managers that it, it did feel almost apocalyptic. This time around, we don't have that level of ne- negativity yet. Something we may not see again uh, in my lifetime, because we did have 15% unemployment courtesy of the COVID lockdown. But that said, we do have some stocks that represent the give-up aspect of negativity. We've seen lots of money managers coming on air expressing optimism, though, only to get clobbered, of course, by the Fed's surprisingly bearish minutes yesterday. Unfortunately, we still don't have the kind of noxious, nauseous chatter that creates a terrific sentiment bottom. There's too much confidence, too much optimism, too many people trying to buy things. Second, bottoms happen when the market gets oversold, extremely oversold. We aren't there yet. In fact, based on the S&P oscillator that I often reference, we're still overbought. We're at at almost plus three because there's been so much buying in the big non-techs and non-healthcares with real earnings. Remember, 2022 is the year where you have to own profitable companies with straightforward businesses. Even though they dipped a bit today, those groups remain overbought, not oversold. 
Only tech has been truly beaten down, although healthcare, with declines like the 88 points in one session for institutional favorite Humana, can get something oversold real fast. But no, we're not oversold. Third bottom checklist, have the analysts thrown in the towel? So far, not really. Sure, Adobe and Salesforce both caught downgrades, but no one followed up. There was no, matter of fact, there was a nice push today for Salesforce. But all we've had really is price target cuts that merely keep pace with the declines in stocks. You have to see more despair from the analysts before we get a truly sustainable bottom. We aren't there yet. They're still trying to play catch up with the sell-off. Fourth. Are the big gunners of the day, the ones buying the formerly turbocharged momentum stocks getting clobbered? The number one momentum player in this market is Kathy Wood, the portfolio manager behind ARK Invest and her flagship ARK Innovation Fund is one of the ugliest performers of the era. Wood was the best stock picker of 2020, but it's not 2020 anymore. While she's sticking by her picks, momentum players never want to admit that they're wrong. Her portfolio is as toxic as I've ever seen. But as long as money managers like Kathy Wood refuse to throw in the towel, that means we're probably not yet nearing a bottom. Now, the, the moment, of course, of Wood saying something like, whoops, I blew it, I'm selling, is when you know we, nest, we have the ingredients for bottom. But that won't happen. She'll never do that. More likely, her investors will capitulate before she does. And some of the greatest momentum guys just got boosted tonight when GameStop adopted my plan to go all NFT crypto. I mean, I can't believe they just went in crypto. I la- Everyone laughed at me when I said they should go crypto. Now they go crypto. The stock's up 30 bucks. Hope spring an eternal there. So, um, yeah, let's give that one a check. Okay. Fifth, you got to ask yourself, is the proximate cause of the decline something that poses systemic risk to the economy? And that could be worth a very big decline. Or is it merely a garden variety downturn? I don't think there's any systemic risk here, but there is some real flashpoint. Remember, you want to see lots of money managers freaking out about how it's the end of the world. Their panic creates the bottom. And right now we're hearing all kinds of fire and brimstone denunciations about how the Fed is behind the curve. And we're about to experience hyperinflation. Now, if these hedge fund guys were right, then that would be systemic risk. And the Fed would have to go nuclear on the economy to stop it. I think they're wrong, though. We have inflation. It's not great. But if we let things play out, it will eventually subside, and the Fed won't need to hit us with a series of lockstep rate hikes. Believe me, if the inflation issues were right, the 10-year Treasury wouldn't be yielding a measly 1.7, and the 20-year wouldn't be at around 2 and change. Those are historically low rates, people. So um, do the events that trigger selling pose it? Well, uh, we don't have to worry about that one, so let's give that a check mark. So we've got, got two out of five. Not great. Six. Six item on the checklist. Okay, now let's go over this because now we're getting interesting. Have the IPOs stopped coming? Markets that are going down need a chance to catch their breath. But that can't happen as long as investment bankers keep flooding us with new supply by pumping out bills, by pumping out garbage IPOs and SPACs. Now it looks like for a moment the window actually might be closing. Last night, Authentic Brands, a grab bag of ancillary brands run by very smart people, pulled its offering. This is one of the greatest signs of a bottom you can find, a smart management team that knows it won't get a really good price. So why not just wait? We need to see many more deals getting pulled. I'm going to put that one as kind of like, you know, I don't know what that means, but it means not yes, not no. Seventh, can good earnings come and save us? We had three companies that reported today, ConAgra, Bed Bath & Beyond, and Constellation Brands. Of course, they're all on our show tonight, but it didn't move the needle. We won't know how businesses are really doing until earnings season truly kicks in at the end of next week. So that one we're calling a question mark. we got a lot of stuff here that does not equal checks, okay? Eighth, have stocks come down enough from their highs that it makes sense for a new wave of money to come in from the sidelines? I think the answer to this one is no. Because while the Nasdaq's well off its highs down 8% at the low yesterday, uh, the Dow's barely down at all. You need all the major averages to be hurting before you get an investable bottom. 
Uh, nine, is there anything that could possibly fix the proximate cause of the decline? This time it's clear. The cause is the Fed declaring more inflation. If we start to get some softer inflation numbers since Omicron strain has run its course and more people come back to work, that could certainly help. We're not there yet. The good news is that at this point, Omicron should peak, I think, by the end of the month. Once that happens, you need to get more positive because that's going to help the fight against inflation. We'll delve into that later in the show. So um, here, let's give that a question mark. All right. Then finally, forget the Fed for a moment. Is the rest of the government a hindrance or a help? For better or worse, the government seems paralyzed. I say there are more worse things than gridlock. So that one I'm going to say is fine. All right. So when you add up all these, I think we could soon get maybe a, you know, we get some more short term trades like we had today. But I, there's way too, there's just not enough check marks at all for me to feel like that this was anything serious today. Too few checks. That doesn't mean you can't pick selectively the stocks on the way down. Uh, we're going to start doing that for the charitable trust. If we see any buys, we haven't yet. It's too early to be aggressive. The bottom line, based on my checklist, it's just too soon to talk about what's worth buying in a weakness. I think we need to experience more pain before we get the big bottom that we're all waiting for. Let's go to Joe in Ohio. Joe. Booyah, Jim. I love your show, man. Thank you for making it. Thank you, Joe. Booyah right back at you. What's up? So my question is about uh, Shopify. Uh, I know it looks like it has been pelotonic for the last few weeks. Uh, Its PE is really low. I'm looking at how they're handling their customers. It has a story, which is good. But all the technicals are showing sell, 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 sell. I wanted to see your tech on Shopify. Okay, well, you know, Shopify is one of those companies that has 185 PE. All right. Now, when the Fed starts raising rates, what I said was you have to buy companies that are making a lot of money and are doing it by making things. Uh, so that's a, a switch. So suddenly you have a stock like Shopify, which is a very, very good company, but it's not what's right right now. So you have to wait till that comes down. You can say, well, wait a second. It's down from 1,700 to 1,100, uh, but it, it, it doesn't really have a bottom feel yet to me uh, because it doesn't fit my playbook of what's expensive and what's not. Let's go to Craig in Pennsylvania, please. Craig. Hey, how's it going today, Jimmy? Uh, That's good, man. What's going on with you? Oh, everything is great. Everything is lovely. Fantastic. Uh, I just had a question about uh, Crocs. I know recently they uh, made an acquisition in the Hey Dude. Yeah, I saw that. And it went down on the news. Now, I mean, the shoe, from what I know, is is a really good popular shoe and is very comfortable. And uh, I know they report earnings next month, around the end of next month. I just wanted to get your thoughts on what are like the uh, short term, mid term, probably long term views on the stock. Well, there's a problem is a lot of new shoe companies. Like someone reckoned, you know, I saw Allbirds got a buy recommendation today. You know what? There's a plethora of shoe companies right now, and that's what I think is hurting them. And people feel they paid too much for that acquisition. We're going to have to wait to see that quarter because people felt that they needed growth, and that's why they paid so much. So we have to keep watching that one, Greg. It's swirling to give you the high sign. How about Hannah in New York? Hannah. Yeah, hi, Jim. I love your show, first of all. Oh, thank you. So informative. And I want to thank you for all the hard work that you do. Yesterday, you suggested four tech stocks to purchase since they've gone down a lot, one of them being Salesforce. Now, Salesforce, along with the stocks I'm calling about, were both downgraded by UBS on Wednesday. What do you think about adding Adobe Peerless? To which one? I'm sorry, which stock? Adobe? Okay, look, Adobe did not have a great quarter. It did not have a bad quarter. Uh, The stock is down a great deal. Uh, I believe that it's right to buy. Uh, You buy some here, 
and buy some lower. And that's because it's a $500 stock, not a $50 stock. You have to buy it by 10. If you, not, that was my old rule of thumb. But Adobe did not is being overly punished here. Down from 700 to 500 I would start buying a little. I, I know we're all waiting for a bottom. Unfortunately, we don't have enough checks yet. Now, look, I might miss the bottom. But these are the ones that I like to look for. And we just don't have them. How about we get seven checks or maybe eight checks, but not this few checks. We have money tonight. Constellation Brands announced a new deal with Coca-Cola to add an alcoholic twist to Fresca. I'm learning more about the quarter of the deal with Company Top Brands. Then Bed Bath & Beyond missed analyst expectations in the fiscal third quarter. But the stock went above and beyond today. I'm going to tell you why, why I don't think it's finished. And ConAgra seeing strong demand in the frozen aisles. So should investors expect the company to bring the heat going into 2022? I've got the exclusive. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. This morning, we got a truly terrific quarter from Constellation Brands, STZ, the wine, liquor, and beer company best known for Corona, Modelo, Pacifico. Against a tough backdrop, they delivered a modest revenue beat and a 35-cent earnings beat off a $2.77 basis. On top of that, management raised their full-year forecast. Initially, Constellation stock jumped to an all-time high, but then it rolled over as all the tangible stocks that have been winning in recent months got hit with a wave of profit-taking, and you know, a lot of that money flowed back to the the uh, Nasdaq. Person, I think, is a buying opportunity, but don't take it from me. Let's check in with Bill Newlands, the president and CEO of Constellation Brands, to get a better read on the quarter and where his company's headed. Mr. Newlands, welcome back to Mad Money. Thanks, Jim. Good to be here. Bill, I think you're in an enviable situation. Had you had more glass, had you had more workers, you would have done even better for Modelo, up thir- Ms. Fischel, up 13%, and Corona Extra up 11 Is it really just the case that you just can't make enough beer? Well, we finally gotten ourselves into a good spot and we're getting our inventory back into position. But I think it really shows the strength of our brands. As you point out, Modelo just is a continuing freight train and that's phenomenal. And it was extremely exciting to see the, the strength of Corona Extra. You know, it's one of the most beloved brands. And when you're up 11 percent in a quarter, it shows the real strength. And I think as, as people in a, in a COVID environment go to brands that they trust, uh, Corona Extra has been a, a real winner in, in that. Speaking of brands they trust, the younger people in my cohort, not me because I remember from different years, all drink Fresca. And when people heard about your tie-up with Coca-Cola, people didn't think, this, oh, this is going to be another hard seltzer. This is something new and different. Talk about it. It is. It, as you know, Fresca is one of the real growth brands for Coca-Cola. And interestingly enough, over 50% of Fresca consumers already mix it with alcohol beverage. So in, in a growing sector, ready to drinks, we thought for, uh, Refresca, uh, Fresca mixed is an outstanding opportunity for us, uh, both for Coca-Cola and for us. And we're really excited about it. it it's very much on trend of convenience, flavor, as well as locale. And, and we're very excited about it. We think it's going to be a great opportunity. How will that work? Will it be you and Coke joint advertising, or are you taking the lead in this? 
we're taking the lead. Uh, we're going to buy the the concentrate from them, and then we will uh, product make the product, market, and sell it primarily through our beer distribution network. Although in some states it will go through wine and spirits as well. I got a feeling that's going to be just a huge hit. Now you're spending what between five and five point five billion capex. Most of the companies in your industry don't even have any capex to spend on because there's nothing. All they're trying to do is cut back. Where is that going to be used? Will it be to get brown glass when we're about for Pacifico? Will it be just to have more glass for uh, maybe one day Victoria coming to New York in a big way? Because you know I think that's going to be huge. It does a number of things for us. First of all, it allows us to optimize our Nava and our Obregon facilities. We're also going to build out in, in the state of Veracruz. Uh, that's been a very important next step for us because of our strong demand. We see in the, in the short, medium term, 7 to 9%. Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production, and they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. Growth annually in our beer business, and it's important that we invest against it. So we're, we're very bullish on the long-term prospects for beer, and, and this capital investment is really an investment behind it. As you know, we are a very strong cash generator, and it allows us to not only return money to shareholders, but also invest behind the growth of our business. All right, so Bill, you and I both know there's a tequila shortage in this country. It's remarkable. Casanova is one of my absolute favorite brands. It sells incredibly well. But I just don't think that because you have so many great brands, I think it's probably hard to choose which one to put money behind. Any chance of going behind tequila in a big way? We've extended ourselves in, in tequila recently. You may have seen that we repackaged Casanova into what I think is a really dynamite new look uh, package. And, and we think that's going to be very helpful for that brand. Uh, we also have introduced Mikapo, which is a slightly lower priced tequila, but still in the premium space. So we're very bullish on tequila and we plan to be a player in it. All right. Now, canopy growth obviously has uh, plummeted. Uh, All the stocks have, so I'm not going to select canopy. But is there some catalyst that could happen in the near term? Because, you know, this is a a generational opportunity for cannabis versus, say, I'm reading the Sackler book right now about opiates. And I just say, oh, my, if only this country had embraced cannabis, hundreds of thousands of people could be living. At the same time, recreationally, it's a safer thing than what we do to ourselves. So where are we in terms of a catalyst? I think the catalyst is likely to be legalization on a federal level. And Canopy is still well positioned to take advantage of that. You might have seen recently they have an agreement with WANA, which is one of the strongest gummy producers, both in Canada and the United States, when there is that triggering event to bring that under the Canopy fold. Um, We still, as we've talked before, we still believe this is going to be a $100 billion business, which considering it's bigger than the spirit business, will be an important category in CPG going forward. 
And, and for, therefore, we still believe this is an important area where we need to be invested. One last thing. I, I get the Mexican Daily newspaper comes at the headlines coming around seven o'clock every night. Last night was particularly bad when it came to Omicron. They're talking about real crisis in many states. How are your people handling it down there? I think our team has done an outstanding job of of being as far ahead as we can possibly be. As you know, we hired a a chief medical officer, Dr. Tim Malins, and he has been a terrific guide for us. And he and our Mexican operations group has gotten 99% of our operational uh, population doubly vaccinated. So we're doing everything we can to keep our people safe, which in turn will allow us to service the great needs of, of our customers who are enjoying our beers. Excellent. Now, I want people to know there were four different uh, brokerage firms that boosted numbers going into the quarter, which is probably why it had such a flat reaction, so to speak. It certainly wasn't the numbers. They were spectacular. Bill Newlands, President and CEO of Constellation Brands, STC. Always great to see you, sir. Thank you. Good to see you, Jim. Remember, when a stock goes down, you have to ask where it came from, not just where it's going to. In this particular case, take a look where this thing came from. And now you know why it went down. They have money speculating. Coming up, supply chain challenges hammered results. So why haven't investors punished Bed Bath & Beyond after earnings? Kramer's got the CEO next. All right, what in the world is going on with the stock of Bed Bath & Beyond? Now, look, I'm a big believer in the turnaround story here. Bash ran up by CEO Mark Tritton, who was late of Target. The stock's incredible 8% rally today. Well, it was a little mystifying for people. Why? Because Bed Bath just reported an outright top and bottom line miss, with management also issuing a light guidance for the next quarter and even cutting their full-year forecast. In pre-market trading, the stock was down 9% at one point. Then a funny thing happened. When the conference call got rolling, the stock came roaring back. Perhaps that's because Bed Bath's gross margins were improving. You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production, and they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. Perhaps it's because management gave you very bullish commentary talking about how demand remained strong even as they were hit by infrastructure issues and supply chain headaches and how the quarter got better as it went along, called the cadence. Whatever the reason, it's great to see the stock catch fire. Can it continue? Let's dig deep with Mark Tritton. He's the turnaround artist, president and CEO of Bed Bath & Beyond. He had a clearer picture where his company said, Mr. Tritton, welcome back to Bad Money. Hey, Jim. Good uh, ha- great to see you and Happy New Year. Okay, same to you. Now, Mark, when you were on last, it was right at the heart of when things were not going well. And you said you felt things were going better. I think a lot of people were mystified by why the stock could rally. But in fact, if you go month by month and week by week, it just got stronger and stronger as the quarter went on. Yeah, I mean, like, look, we had a, a quarter that we would have delivered 
rather delivered much better results. We had two major issues that we faced. The first was around traffic generation where we didn't lean into our key fundamentals and connect with our customers in a timely way. And that really permeated through the third quarter, got better in November, uh, and so you saw that advancement there. The second was really around inventory. It's a tough time for everybody, but for us as a company that's building their infrastructure, processes, and technology, we got caught a little bit in this space. And so we had a lack of inventory. We had great demand, as you just noted, and it really frustrated us to not be able to meet that demand fully through the quarter and into the early part of December. Now, Mark, I, did, I was confused. I had thought that you had tackled all the infrastructure issues, but throughout the conference call, you talk about current systems not being up to snuff. Isn't it a better investment to get all that fixed than it is to continue to buy back stock? Well, we believe we can do both, and that's actually what we've been doing, Jim. We've got a three-year transformation plan, and the, the issue is that, that our investments, we've engineered the recovery and the, the design of our new systems and processes, but they begin to be tested and implemented throughout 22. 21 was the year of design, development, engineering. 22 is where we start to stabilize and implement. And so this came just ahead of that. We are investing our CapEx, which we've laid out very clearly, in the infrastructure to build for our three-year plan. Remember, we're only three quarters into a three-year plan. So we believe when we look at the long-term value of our stock, its current value is undervalued, and both our board and management team construct the ability to invest on behalf of the shareholder in what we think is going to be a very profitable outcome. Okay, about about 30 years ago, uh, I uh, had met with the Dayton Hudson Management, and they were talking about spinning off this company called Target. And I said, well, that's ridiculous. I mean, Dayton Hudson's a great brand. Target turned out to be one of the great growth engines of all time. Uh, I look at, at, at Bye Bye Baby, and I say to myself, it could be the great growth engine here. I think I'm going to put something out there. You may disagree. You have a billion in cash. You, you take that out. You have a company that is worth five, at least $500 million. Bye Bye Baby. I don't even care about the rest of the stuff. You know that this company is worth a lot more if we had that Target-like business that's, that's Bye Bye Baby. Well, let's break it down. I knew you were going to go there, Jim. Bye bye, yeah. baby. Great business. Double digit comps for the quarter. Consistent growth and market share growth. Uh, and it's, we do believe it's a true asset. And we shared openly that this business will generate more than $1.3 billion worth of sales. I think getting clarity on the value of this business over time, and we've been holding back there a little as we wanted to develop the business. But as we're investing in it in 2022 and making an even greater asset is our goal. And so seeing that strength and then building on that strength is our key goal. Now, I've been back to your Chelsea store. It is gorgeous. We went there when it opened. Yeah. Uh, If you had 10 of them, what would your numbers be like? Well, let me just talk about the success of that store. Again, interesting time in that we do not have tourist traffic and we do not have the Midtown office traffic at the moment. That store, 15% less floor space than it was in its prior incantation. We've actually reduced inventory down by over 15%. The store is up 30% on last year without those benefits of traffic. And so, you know, higher level of on-ground penetration, higher levels of productivity and profitability. It is the jewel in the crown for us. And as we are working not only on that store but other flagships and A-plus stores, we're working with our national brand vendor partners to invest and celebrate their brands in moments in the store that you see adding through now and through the first part of 2022. So really great success and at the sort of forefront of the investments we're making in our remodel program. 
over three years, over 400 stores. We've only completed 81 of those. And when we do, they grow disproportionately to the rest of the fleet. Their own brand, own brand penetration is higher and Chelsea is the jewel and the crown of the, that experience. So another great green shoot of our transformation that we see leading to really great results over the next two to three years. Now, uh, it must have hurt you as a great merchant to admit that you were, you were approximately $100 million in lost sales. I mean, yeah. that must just, I, I know a, what that, that must have just pain, painful. Yeah. How'd that happen? Yeah, look, I mean, as I talked about, the two influences there is really around mostly supply chain and inventory availability. I'll give you a great example of that, Jim, is the customer comes online, they want to buy a great item from us, they see it on our assortment, and they want to buy that to pick up at their local store. The inventory is not in the right place to be made available. It's actually locked in a warehouse. Or they want to buy from us online and it actually hasn't been replenished because our vendors are also starved for that key inventory. So we actually had the physical data of customers coming to us in store and online and we not being able to meet them. Here's the good news about that. It does show that the brand is alive and well and that we have demand. That we can't meet it absolutely kills me. It's a real opportunity for 22 that's left a space here in 21. There's $100 million minimum that we said we left on the table just for Q3. Uh, We see that as something we have to double down on and we'll get through our inventory woes uh, as we build processes and procedures from here in the midterm through to our full transformation coming through the end of 22. Okay. Finally, someone asked a question. They said, you closed one Harman. I, you know, I love Harman. You know, I think that those stores are worth a great deal. Uh, I do, but it's just, yeah. is it still just an afterthought? When can we start talking about what you can do with that great brand? Well, I think that there's, you know, there's only one store that closed and that's the end of the story. I think that's just the rationalization that we're doing there. But we're investing in that business. And what you're going to see is a two-part plan. Health and beauty, where we used to just sort of plop harm and inside of their bath and beyond, it wasn't very cohesive. We've been re-diagnosing that and developing that, and you're seeing an evolution of our health and beauty businesses doing very well in-store and rolling out in all full remodels. So more to follow on that. The second is how do we double down and invest with, like yourself, incredibly loyal customers, great conversion, uh, and great support. So, you know, more in that plan, bye-bye baby, Harmon and bath and beyond and decorous all set to grow uh, through the investments that we're making. Well, look, I, I, the, the stock popped because it should have. It shouldn't have been down where it is, and it still shouldn't be this low. Uh, think about what can happen when you get the right merchant, when you get everything you want humming. This thing is going to be a great story. Mark Tritton, what well, is? It's just that it hasn't all happened yet by your own admission. That's Mark That's Tritton, right. CEO of Bed Bath & Beyond, who is the toughest critic on himself of any CEO I know. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you, Jim. Now, buddy, back in for Coming up, will inflation take a bite out of this stock? ConAgra joins Kramer fresh off earnings next. Now the Fed's getting ready to hit the brakes in the economy. Wall Street Playbook says you need to be a little more defensive. Buy some defensive classics, the recession-resistant names with healthy dividends. In theory, that makes this the perfect moment for something like ConAgra Brands, the company behind Chef Boyardee, Hebrew National, Duncan Hines, Orville Redenbacher, Bertoli, Pam, Slim Jims, huge portfolio of frozen vegetables, among many others. This cheap stock. 
And it makes real things and pays you a bountiful 3.7% yield. Therefore, it passes our smell test. However, the industry is still a little tricky. As we saw this morning, among Conagra reported, but I guess it's, you have to call it mixed quarter. While their sales came in better than expected, and they're now guiding for 3% organic sales growth this year, very strong. They also got hit with a higher, higher, higher cost, translated to some tougher gross margins, four cent earnings miss off a 16 cent basis in response to stock got ever so slightly dinged. Going forward, though, the comparisons will get easier. And if you believe that the Fed could whip inflation sooner than expected, this one's going to be a coiled spring. So can management get their costs under control in an environment where costs are going up for everybody? Let's take a closer look with Sean Connolly. He's the president and CEO of ConAgra Brands. Learn more about the quarter what comes next. Mr. Connolly, welcome back to Mad Money. Hey, Jim. Happy New Year. Oh, same to you, Sean. Now, I was very impressed with 3% growth in an industry that doesn't have much growth at all. That's terrific. At the same time, obviously, as you said, the costs are higher than you'd like. At what point will the cost be taken, but the gains in sales continue higher? Well, we've we've seen this inflation has been clearly more persistent than than we expect. But, you know, it's, it's getting a little long in the tooth right now. But meanwhile, our sales remain incredibly robust. I just wish we could supply all the demand that consumers have for our products because that has remained very strong. But you can't sugarcoat it. It's been a challenging environment in the supply chain. We've seen some improvement in some areas. And then you see new challenges come in like Omicron. But as we approach our fourth quarter, we're going to start to wrap the onset of this inflation. And that's where you see things materially improve given the fact that we've got strong brands, we've got strong demand, and we've taken inflation-driven pricing as well. You tend to see margin recovery happen uh, pretty meaningfully and pretty swiftly once you get to the wrap. Now, we've got terrific products of yours out here. We've got uh, the big big popcorn. We've got the savage-sized Jim Slims. But what we can't represent as much as I'd like, because we only have two of them, is what's going on in the frozen food aisle. Now, that aisle is on fire. The numbers are impressive. Take me down that aisle and tell me what's selling well. Well, I can tell you what's going on with consumers right now as we navigate this pandemic is that younger consumers, millennials and Gen Z in particular, are buying more and more of their food at home, food they cook at home, food they heat and eat at home. And one of the things our younger consumer base, millennials and Gen Z, love are frozen foods. We've got a whole array of great frozen brands like Marie Callender, like Healthy Choice Power Bowls uh, that are resonating really well. We've got P.F. Chang's. Uh, uh, Chinese food, Asian, Pan-Asian food uh, that has gone over extremely well. And we've continued to innovate for these younger consumers in the frozen section. And we've seen tremendous growth. Our two-year total company sales uh, versus two years ago this past quarter was up 15%. And frozen and snacking are our two largest growth areas. So it's a tremendously convenient area. We tackled it a number of years ago, said there's no problem with frozen. The issue is the food. We've got to build great food and put it in a frozen temperature state so it's ready when these young consumers want it. We did that. It has performed year in, year out, and our innovation pipeline just keeps getting stronger. So it's gone extremely well throughout the pandemic. It's gone extremely well with younger consumers, and we've got an even bigger and better pipeline with all these great frozen brands coming uh, over the next several years. Well, I was struck by that when I uh, looked at the conference call and, and the analyst reports, but I was also... Uh, intrigue, you gave the biggest and best breakout of what Omicron can do to a workforce. It's very clear that it's been very tough in your industry. And if every what made me think is that if everybody were healthier, one, inflation would go down. You can correct me if that's not the case. And two, it's obvious that you could have a lot more product, a lot more product. Uh, and uh, that would meet the demand. So if, if this illness were to go away, it would be great for you guys, right? 
Well, it's not quite that simple. I don't think okay. if Omicron goes away, it immediately solves inflation. I think you got to have a battle plan for both. With respect to Omicron, it's exactly what we've been doing since the onset of the pandemic. We've got to keep our employees healthy. And we've taken an incredible number of steps within our facilities to keep people healthy. We have strict masking policies. We keep people at a distance. But most important, we strongly encourage vaccinations and boosters. So we've got to create a healthy and safe work environment. We do that. You know, Omicron is going to be a challenge here for a short period of time is what the prognosticators say. We'll, we'll persevere through that as well. But then you have to have a battle plan to navigate inflation. And in the 30 years I've been doing this, you got to have two things in place to navigate inflation. You got to have strong brands that resonate with consumers and you got to have perseverance. Strong brands are important because it is the thing that allows you to get inflation driven pricing into the marketplace. And it's the thing that keeps the consumer's response to that pricing benign. Perseverance is important because it's a good reminder that if you've got your pricing in place, demand remains strong. When the inflation uh, subsides, you can see rapid margin recovery in a meaningful way. And that's exactly what we're counting on. And we continue to see that very strong uh, demand from our consumers. But Omicron and tackling inflation, we've got a plan for both. All right, you got to do them both. And if we get, the, if we get inflation down, that 3.7% yield is going to be a winner no matter what. And I know these analysts are all saying, well, you don't have enough free cash flow to do this or that. That's nonsense. Your company generates a gigantic amount of cash flow. Really, Sean, just an amazing amount. We throw off a lot of cash, Jim, and we have a very balanced uh, approach to capital allocation. You know, as you've seen in the past, uh, we consider it all. You know, we invest a lot in our businesses. It's how we get this great innovation going. We also have a meaningful dividend. We increased our dividend last fiscal right. by, I think, about 47 percent. And opportunistically, we buy back shares and sometimes we make acquisitions. All of those things are options given our strong cash flows. And all of them are things that we weigh against each other in terms of strategic value and economic value in any given quarter. Well, terrific job. I think it's actually going forward going to be easier. That's my view. I just studied your company long enough to know that I think that's going to be the case. Sean Connolly, president and CEO of ConAgra Brand, CAG. Thank you, Sean. Great to see you. Thanks, Jim. Guys, you know, look, if you want a company that's just on the move, but it's not going to make you, you know, worry every minute that you're in the stock market, it's ConAgra, okay? May have money's back here for the Just chill out. Is this Chill Master Jay? The Chill Man is in the house. He's happy. The lightning round is coming up when Mad Money returns. It is time! It's time for the lightning round! And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Keep that of the lightning round! Let's start with Antonio in Michigan. Antonio! Hey, Jim. Um, I think the data center and data storage sector is a pretty safe sector. Uh, I've been looking for value plays with a good long-term vision. I know you talked about Vertip Holdings before, and I'm just curious if you feel that Vertip is a good stock to get into at its current Yes, absolutely. I like the company. I like the business model. I like the fact that Cody's still the chairman. You've got a winner there. Let's go to Garrett, New York. Garrett. Hi, Jim. I've held 2,000 shares at an average price of 11.74 for about six months now. I'm concerned what the chart looks like. It's horrific. What do you think about Pacey? I don't know how the hell this got down this low. I mean, honestly, God, I, I'm a buyer. Count me a buyer, not a seller. I mean, it's losing money, but not losing money hand over fist. Let's go to Sal in Texas, please. Sal. Mr. Kramer, thanks for all the help over the years. Quite much, welcome. Much, much appreciated. Quite welcome. 
Hey, listen, I'm in the house of pain with this one. It's a data analytics business intelligence software company. We hit another 52-week low yesterday, so could really use your help with Alteric, AYS. All right, now, this is an example, again, of a stock that doesn't fit what I said would work in 2022 when I did my investment club call, which is that a company that I really like that's losing a lot of money, that has really good data storage retrieval business, Alteryx, cannot, it, its stock can't work here. And I know that sounds so bad that I say it can't work, but I've been sticking by my guns about that when I had that investment club meeting, and I'm not changing my mind. Let's go to John in New York. John. Jimmy, booyah. Booyah. Happy New Year to you. Same to you. And the staff. And the staff. They're great. I'm calling about Matterport, MTTR. Is it time to get in? Now, you know, what we did say, look, that this one was traded. Was, we had a question from a viewer. Uh, digital scan, 3D. We like 3D. But again, remember, not making any money. It was not making any money. It cannot go up in this environment. Let's go to Rhonda in Kansas. Rhonda. Hi, Jim. Hi, Rhonda. Very cold, very windy, and very dry. Booyah. Wow. Very unattractive booyah. Jim, I need some help sure. understanding the extraneous factors around Scott's miracle grow. Water shortages. Right, but also we've got, you know, you've got the cannabis. Look, this and uh, I like this stock. I think this is going to be a great stock for the spring. I think gardening should be back again. This We didn't lose. I, look, who knew that we would be still with COVID? And it does well during gardening season. So I'm a buyer. Dan in California. Dan. Welcome, Jim. Thank you, Dan. Sunny Southern California wants to know. All right. What's your opinion of Guardian GH? They're losing money hand over fist. Just hand. They're like, boom, 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 boom. And therefore, it won't work. I know when I say it don't work, that sounds so callous. But I, I, I go back to the December club meeting when I said you can't own them anymore. It's just a watershed moment. And that's where we are. Saul, Massachusetts. Saul. Hi, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Hi, quite welcome, sir. Um, also, I'm a, I'm a member of the CNBC Investing Club. Thanks very much for that as well. Quite welcome. Um, my question is the trade desk, TTD. Uh, is it is a, a great company. We have had Jeff Green on a bunch of times, but it sells at 100 times earnings. We have been saying that if it's, if it's more than 50 times earnings and it's not Snowflake, we don't want to recommend. Why Snowflake? Because they really are doing well enough to be able to have that kind of multiple. Uh, thank you, Matt Horing. The stock did hold its right bottom today. Let's go to Anthony in New York. Anthony! Jim, how you doing, pal? I'm a long-time listener. Oh, thank you, partner. Thank you. Your thoughts on Anavix Corporation, symbol ENVX. All right. Well, look, I'll tell you what. Because it's lithium batteries, I'm going to do more work on it. Lithium I, I, lithium, those stocks aren't working right now either, but I want to do more work on it, and I'll come back to you. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, what can a box of cereal tell you about this market? Kramer explains next. Tomorrow, kick off the trading day with Squawk on the Street. Live from Post 9 at the NYSE. People who criticize me on uh, Twitter, they should watch tomorrow's show where I'm going to fix Twitter. 
That, you've been teasing that, and I can't wait to hear what yeah, GM is for fix Twitter. That's and gonna I, be- I happen to love the management Twitter, but, uh, you know, I gotta, <laughs> I, I, I have to fix them. It all starts at 9 a.m. Eastern. Thank you for inspiring me to get in the game. Your show is the best. I am so glad you're on TV. I want you to know that you have transformed me. Thank you, Kramer. Imagine a world where we get inflation under control. That might not be as fantastical as you'd think. Starts with something anecdotal. During vacation, I had the absolute pleasure of working with one of the preeminent people in the business of tree milling, the process of taking trees and turning them into beautiful slabs for for tables, desks, anything that needs a 17-foot piece of solid 5-inch ash. I asked him whether he'd thought about getting into the business of lumber, given that we've got serious mill shortages in this country. His response, he laughed. He said, are you kidding me? If you knew the number of mills that are about to come online to take advantage of high lumber prices, you want to get out of that business right now. Uh, So let's think about that. Someone who's very in the know when it comes to lumber says we're looking at so many new mills that the price could crash. That's his biggest fear. And look, that's hardly an isolated example. We're seeing something similar all over the place. It's just done in the Fed's thinking. Take this box of Kellogg's cornflakes. The other day, Kellogg got downgraded because everything that goes in and around a box is going up in price. I mean, there's, let's see, there's the corn, right? I mean, you know, the corn's been flying. It's a remarkably small part of a box of cereal, at least in terms of its cost. But it's a wild card. And right now it's coming up. Well, let's say it's not coming up aces. Then there's the plastic bag. Okay, plastic's gone up a great deal. This is an incredible opportunity for the plastic makers to make money. They can't open a a new high-density polyethylene plant overnight. But they're in the process of building a ton of them. Historically, they tend—they have a tendency to get greedy and build too many of them. Same with the box makers. They're already overbuilt capacity to take advantage of high prices. But those prices will move back down once all the new capacity comes online. And we go from a box shortage to a box glut. Don't believe me about the plastic? Maybe you'll believe the best chemical analyst in the industry, Frank Mitch at Fermium Research. He showed me this chart that indicates this process has already begun for plastics as the new plants come online. Again, you have to expect something similar for all these commodities. Meanwhile, there's the labor side of the equation. Late last year, Kellogg got hit with a strike that lasted 11 weeks. Factory workers tried to hold out for a better contract. Then the company threatened to give them the boot. In the end, the union got a very good contract, but Kellogg managed to get some serious concessions denied by the unions that will allow them to get costs down. I'm sure they're now doing everything in their power to use technology to make more boxes of cereal with fewer workers. And that's what happens when there's a labor shortage. Now, how about the real bad costs? Shipping, getting into the distribution centers, the stores that take truck drivers. This one is problematic. No one knew there'd be a driver shortage just a couple of years ago. There's so much chatter about self-driving trucks, so it's harder to attract new people to the industry. But one thing is for certain. If there aren't enough truck drivers now, eventually they're going to get higher salaries. Right now, they make about an average of 66 Gs. Lots of individual truck drivers are setting up three and four driver companies where they can make 100 grand a year each. At the same time, the railroads see a major opportunity. Maybe get that port congestion changed, and they're going to set up new intermodal lines that will help bring these cereal boxes to where they're needed. The whole thing snuck up on people, and that includes COVID, which has been a nightmare for logistics. Once the pandemic runs its course and you can earn six figures as a self-employed truck driver, I think a lot of these shipping bottlenecks will just vanish. It's just not going to happen overnight. 
Now let's go back to the anecdotal information from that expert, Tree Miller. Like so many companies, he recognizes that new demand is here to stay. Funny thing about long-lasting demand, it's always greeted by more supply. Our Fed chief, Jay Powell, knows this. He doesn't need to carpet bomb the economy with rate hikes in order to stamp out inflation. He just needs to cool things down a bit and buy some time for capacity to come online and push prices back down. In the meantime, really, honestly, if you're really worried about the cost of living, forget the Kellogg branded kind. And buy this much cheaper knockoff version. Incredibly, just a second. It tastes exactly the same. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise I find just for you right here on my mic. I'm Jim Kramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts.